The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. Four oh six on the Central Coast. It's Tuesday, January seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three. We are busy. In about an hour, Paul Lewis gets a chance to respond to Rich, who was here last week, uh, talking about Biden and Trump and presidential documents and whether we should care or not. Debbie Peterson, the former mayor of Grover Beach, has written a new book. Uh, we hear from her at six oh five. This hour, we were scheduled to be heard from. Uh, uh, we were scheduled to hear from. Hello. Uh, Tom Wilmer, travel writer extraordinaire, but Tom called this morning with apologies. He is, shall we say, under the weather. So, Tom, feel better, and perhaps later in the week uh, we will hear from Tom. Uh, not to worry, though. we got a great guest and a really great topic. Uh, some of you have maybe been watching Fox News or reading Drudge or OAN or listening to our 9 o'clock show. You might be aware of this issue. San Francisco Reparations Committee proposes $5 million to each black longtime resident plus total debt forgiveness. San Francisco Reparation Committee has proposed paying each black longtime resident $5 million and granting total debt forgiveness due to decades of systemic repression faced by the local black community. The San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee, which advises the city on developing a plan for reparation for black residents, released its draft report last month to address reparations, not for slavery, since California was not technically a slave state, but, quote, to address the public policies explicitly created to subjugate black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of chattel slavery. Always good to be in conversation with historian extraordinaire. Dr. James Papp is with us. Dr. Papp. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Why the the hesitation? Well, you know, I I really didn't want to get involved in this because I thought, you know, aggrieved people would be calling up and I I have enough aggrievement in my life that I don't need more on the radio. But but at the same time, so I kind of said first today, I don't want to do this. But then it's a really interesting report. And that headline number, I... You know, I think they threw that in there just to upset the foxocracy because there's (laughs) there's so much in this report, which is really interesting uh, to to parse out. And the real goal, as I saw in reading this report, is a very worthy one, which is um, the diaspora of black people from San Francisco. San Francisco, you know, people who have known San Francisco for a long time, as I have, you know, we see it going through these phases. And I remember I lived there in the early 90s and I came back after maybe 10 years or something and some kind of mysterious neutron bomb had gone off and all the old people were gone. (laughs) There were just young people. Another neutron bomb has gone off and all the black people are gone. So, I mean, I wouldn't worry about Fox because there's like one black person left in San Francisco to get their five million. Um, I started, though, by stressing this is a draft report. This is not a final recommendation. Nothing has been approved. 
Yeah. Not every black person in San Francisco is going to get $5 million. No. And, and I don't think, I, I mean, I put this in the category of, of things that ain't going to happen. Um, but I think it, it, unfortunately, that headline then obscures all that's interesting about the report, both in thinking about um, what black people have gone through in um, California, which was not technically a slave state, though there were black slaves here, and certainly the entire Indian population was enslaved. That was recognized when Mexico broke off from Spain and, quote, unquote, emancipated the Indians. Well, that was because they themselves recognized they were enslaved. So, um, but there's, there's so much in this report which is interesting about housing discrimination and education discrimination. And some of the things it brings up is, well, the housing discrimination was actually practiced against Asians as well. Um, and there's a recognition in the report. The people who are writing the report say they themselves recognize that a lot of it can't happen because of the trend towards illegalizing uh, if I can coin that word, of um, legalizing affirmative action and any kind of dis- what is perceived as discriminatory reparation to some uh, class or group. And it brought to mind that the big affirmative action case right now is at Harvard. Right. And it is pitting Asians against um, underrepresented minorities, because Asians are now at Harvard an overrepresented minority. And, of course, the thing that everybody is, is neglecting is that a huge category of um, Harvard admissions is uh, legacy. And my daddy is a senator. My, <laughs> my mom is a potentate category. Um, I had a... Um, I used to manage a fencing club in New York City, and one of the um, f- parents there was a doctor in Chicago who every week flew his two kids to New York to work at, work out at our fencers club because ours was the best in the country. And his goal was to get them into Harvard, and he succeeded. His daughter got into Harvard on a fencing scholarship. Of course she did. And um, really nice, smart kid. Uh, when she discussed with her fencing coach, oh, should I put in my application, um, you know, anything about that I was in Model UN or, you know, my grades were this? He said, no, we're admitting you to fence. That's all we're interested in. <laughs> That's all, all what the institution is interested in. Hmm. When she got in, she had this observation. I was chatting with her, her dad, and he repeated this to me, which was when she went um, into the library during finals, all the Asian kids had a box with them. That box had all their toiletries, their changes of clothing, their pajamas. They were there 24 hours a day. That was how they got into Harvard, was the ability to study for 24 hours a day. Wow. And she said, basically, she realized if she hadn't had that so that soul, the woman fencer that year admitted to Harvard for the fencing team, that basically her competition was these people who study 24 hours a day. 24-7. And children of senators, children of potentates, kids whose parents went to Harvard, hmm. who not only have an official legacy um weight put on their admissions, but also they their parents just know already know how to get into highly selective um, institutions. So let's back up, though. We yeah, keep referring sorry. to this report. What? Why do we have this report? What's the background on this? Let's remind our listeners. So the report, it, it comes from Ta-Nehisi Coates, who wrote um, a few years ago, I think 2014, about reparations that have been floating around. There have been reparations uh, for Japanese Americans who were put into camps. 
um, what, what were called at the time concentration camps. We've since come up with more polite terms for it, but they were concentration camps. Um, and it was a symbolic rep reparation by the first Bush government. It's like um, 20,000? It was, I think it was 40. And, okay, it, and it's was, worth more now. Um, but it was, it was not you know, worked out mathematically to what they lost. It was just a recognition of what they lost. And it wasn't $5 million each. It wasn't $5 million each, and it represented, um, you know, these people sold their goods. Um, some of their goods were stored, for instance, um, at the Buddhist church in San Luis Obispo. You know, they put their washing machines and so on there for when they came out after the war. But, you know, they were when they came out, they were penniless and homeless and had to rebuild their lives. And this was a recognition of that. And one of the first people who got that $40,000 was someone from San Luis who had this amazing farm and a business here and was in the Rotary Club and so on. And he, when he got out, it took him till the age of, I believe, 65 to, to even pay off. No, I think it was 80 when he paid off his mortgage again. He was 60 when he, when he was able to even get a mortgage. So these people rebuilt from, from nothing. Yeah. So, um, you know, more power to them. It was, but, it but was a historic we, war. We agree going into the first break that there's no way they're going to give $5 million per person and pay off debt, the debts of these people. I, you know, that's I, not going to happen. I think that's a non-starter, and my suspicion is the number was put out there as a statement of loss, a statement of the wealth that black people lost from not being able to live in white neighborhoods and yeah. see their equity grow, from not being able to have the same jobs, from, um, you know, because it's, I think the in the white imagination, discrimination suddenly ended on the instant that it officially was made illegal. But I think the statistic you have to look at is white households, on average, have 10 times the wealth that black households have. We'll pursue that and other topics with uh, Professor Papp. I'm Dave Congleton. Your phone call still to come right here on AM 920 FM 96.5 News Talk KVEC. You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Dr. James Papp is here for the hour. We're talking about uh, reparations and this proposal. It's just a draft recommendation. It's not concrete. It's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But they want to give every black resident of San Francisco $5 million in reparations as per person. And then they want to um, pay off debt. And, of course, the conservative media is going nuts over this. But as Dr. Papp is here to explain, this is just one part of a much larger report. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting report to read, and you can find it on the web if you um, – I won't give you the address because it's easier just to type in a search for um, San Francisco Reparations Draft Report. Yeah. And it came out in December. And, I, you know, I think – Part of these numbers that they came up with are really symbolic more than they are practical. And the reason I say that is there's another one which um, suggests that rather than getting a sort of a poverty welfare income, that everyone, you know, every black person in San Francisco get a median 
income and they point out how huge that median is, <laughs> it's like $292,000 a year or something, and that they should be paid that for 250 years. Well, obviously, they're not going to do that for 250 years. I think that 250-year figure is to remind people how long discrimination has been going on and slavery and discrimination against black it's people. Like they're making a statement. They're making a statement. And um, I think whether you think it's wise or unwise to make this statement, whether you think it's it's wise to get Tucker Carlson riled, any more riled up and pop his bow tie. Why, why do all these guys, George Will, Tucker Carlson, it's all about bow ties. I don't know. What's the bow tie thing? Um, but, um, you know, everybody is now into symbolism. And I find the the practical matters of the report much more interesting. Well, um, give the example. You found this article in the New York Times yesterday. A, a, a couple, so two people, making $400,000 a year between them. Yeah, this is a if you're if you're a New York Times reader, and the biggest readership of the New York Times is actually Californians, as it turns out. Really? Yeah, um, that um, that's why they write about California quite a bit. But um, there's a there are two columnists, one on the left, one on the right, Gail Collins and Brett Stevens, and they do this back and forth. And yesterday they were doing a back and forth about the IRS and and how the Republicans want to underfund the IRS because they think it's evil. They want to starve the beast and. Um, it, what the IRS wants to do is basically, if you cross a $400,000 a year family income threshold, then that you are somewhat likely to be audited because that's where the money is. And, you know, and that's frankly, frankly, those people, there's loads of tax dodges that are perfectly legal for them, but they're also doubtless tax dodges that are not legal that they're, that they're doing. So Brett Stevens in, in saying he didn't want the IRS to be auditing people over $400,000 a year said, well, you know, a couple making $400,000 on the coast, um, you know, they're scrimping to get, you know, they're paying for their kids to go to college and so on. And their lifestyles would not be considered rich. And I think those of us who are not making $400,000 yeah, a sounds year. pretty good to me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's all relative. And, uh, one of the interesting things about, um, there was a piece of research in, in the 1960s when they loved to do all these bits of behavioral research where they gave, I don't know, so many M&Ms to this person, so many M&Ms to that person, whatever. But it turned out people would rather have not an absolute – they would rather have fewer M&Ms as long as they had more M&Ms than the person next to them. So it's, it's actually less about absolute amount of wealth as wanting to be wealthier than the person next to you that you're comparing yourself right. to. But the larger issue, as you pointed out, is the increasing economic disparity in this country. And, and that's a problem that, as I pointed out, black families have you know one-tenth the family wealth of white families on average. So if something bad happens to a black person, they lose their job, they have that much less to fall back on and they're that much likely to fall into homelessness, poverty, etc. But the other thing is since since the Carter years, if, if that name has any meaning to you, since the 1970s, um, not only has the world, but in specifically America, had a greater and greater disparity of wealth, growing and growing disparity of wealth. That disparity of wealth is accelerating at a faster and faster rate. And there's all kinds of systemic reasons for it. One is that we used to have very regressive taxes under Eisenhower, which <laughs> we all look back as this nostalgic time. 
top rate of tax was 95% of income tax. Um, you know, and that was a Republican um, who had won the world, saved the world for democracy. So, um, and played golf all the time. <laughs> so, you also have, um, you know, not just taxation, which um, the interesting thing about taxation is you want to tax things that you don't like. So, you alcohol has a big tax, tobacco has a big tax, things that you want to get rid of. Very interestingly, working is taxed at a much higher rate than sitting back like um, Jim Backus, like the millionaire in Lovey, on your capital gains. Yeah. And if you, when I sold my house, my co-op in New York City, which I had bought and then had quintupled in five years, I didn't pay a penny of tax on that. Um, you know, which to me was insane. But if there is economic disparity, and I defer to you on that, Professor, reparations is certainly not the way to offset that. It's. I think it's a much. I mean, I. I think the issue of reparations for a particular group. I mean, many people suggest that we start paying incomes to all poor people, because the reality is we're. It's not so much offshoring anymore that's taking our jobs. It's automation. Well, Yang wanted to give ten thousand dollars to every American. Yeah. Um. I mean, at some point. I mean, here's. Let me let me go back as a historian a little bit about property. Got two minutes. I got two minutes. I can do this in two minutes. So William the Conqueror conquers England in 1066. He owns, technically, he owns everything in England. He is the king of England. Every piece of property is owned by him. Ooh, somewhat unmanageable. So what he does is he creates uh, feudatories who are lords who technically get chunks of land but are required to come and fight for him if he has a war. And those lords have vassals, and they work, and they get a bit of what they work for, but they don't own anything. Well, this all sort of devolves ultimately to private property and employment because it turns out this whole system is very hard to control because there's not any incentives. So then we get to people moving to America, and suddenly there's all this land. And talk about socialists. Thomas Jefferson wants to carve up the entire country and into one mile squares, and everybody's going to live on a farm exactly a mile from everybody else, because he doesn't think the Indians actually have a right to any of this stuff. And of course, he has slaves. He thinks slaves are fine, so the slaves don't get anything. So then we come to a point where, for instance, employment in the 20th century, the unions bind together, and to have a union job is actually pretty good. My dad was a union man. He was a sheet metal worker, and he was able to build a house for himself overlooking the ocean in La Jolla. Yeah, right. Yeah. Think of that now. Yeah. Truck driving, when, when interstate commerce was regulated, truck driving was a really good job. It's kind of an okay job now. It's, it's, you can make money at it, but it's very bad. But you know what they really want to automate? It's not Teslas, it's trucks. And all That's those right. jobs will be gone. So rather than thinking of wealth as a zero-sum game and I'm a poor white person and I have to battle against poor black people, <laughs> the rich people is where the money is. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that. They've got the money. All right. We are off to news. We've got California Headline News and ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with Times Favorite Traffic and Weather Together. We continue our conversation with Dr. Papp and invite your thoughts as well. This is Hometown Radio.
as we continue this conversation with Dr. Papp, I think I just want to clarify that there are two different reparation uh, discussions taking place right now, at least in California. One is statewide. There's a statewide commission. What we're focused on is specifically the commission in San Francisco that is dealing with the issues in San Francisco. And Dr. Papp is here because there's been a lot of play in the last few days over recommendations, recommendations in a draft report that would calls for giving every black citizen of San Francisco $5 million per person and then wiping out all the debt. Well, uh, Dr. Papp and I are in agreement that that is never going to happen, and nor do I, nor do I think it should. But Dr. Papp is also underscoring the other part of the report is that the growing economic disparity in this country. So if not through reparations, then how do we close the gap? 805-543-8830 if you want in on the conversation at any time. And I'm also reminded as we talked during the break, this is the country we now are against affirmative action. Yeah, it's really... um you know, again, in this report, there's a recognition that they might not be able to do anything about any of the recommendations they make because even, you know, after the 60s, when we finally got to the stage of, say, fair housing and, um, you know, officially said you can't discriminate. And throughout the 1960s, we were still discriminating in, in you know, in, in case you hadn't noticed, um, in very legal ways. And then it became illegal, but um, obviously continued to go on. I mean, after the Supreme Court ruled against uh, covenants barring racial minorities from um, neighborhoods, those covenants kept being enforced for decades after. You know, just because the Supreme Court says something doesn't mean that anyone does anything about it. So, and you know, and you still go to those communities that had covenants, and and they're still mostly white. I mean, that's what happens with the legacy. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so, how do you? I, I, I guess I would express it this way: a corporation, a company, um, they're in the business of making money. Um, a government, a community, a polity is in the business of doing, in theory, the best for the greatest possible number and also for surviving. Companies don't have to survive. Corporations don't have to survive. That's not their modus operandi. Um, the modus operandi of a government or an institution is to survive. And you only survive by making sure that everybody is working together in some sense. And if you have one person who owns everything and a whole bunch of people who own nothing, that just doesn't seem to be, to me, to be a working society. Because at some point, the people who don't have anything, they've got nothing to Loose. On the Stolberg Tatum text line, text number one, um, someone is dismissing all this as nonsense. He, I assume it, this is a he, is guessing that there are more homeless whites than blacks. Um, I know that the proportion of the proportion of homeless is predominantly black and the proportion of homeless is predominantly LGBTQ. I mean, you tend uh, again, homeless 
is there are people who are homeless who are visible homeless, and there are people who are homeless who are invisible homeless. And the vast majority are invisible. They're the couch surfers, the people sleeping in their cars, uh, the people in a motorhome, whatever. The homeless that you see on the street are a small proportion that everybody focuses on. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, in absolute numbers, yes, we're predominantly, still predominantly white countries, so there are more whites of any category. The, the question is, what is the proportion? Text number two on the Stolberg Tatum line, 90% of our nation's wealth is concentrated and 10% of our nation's population. These are the capitalists. Tax the capitalists. You know, um, tax policies go where the money is. And the odd thing <laughs> of the last 50 years, and this is Republicans and Democrats, is this fealty to money. And you know where that fealty comes from? Well, who pays for politicians to run? Um, people with money. So, you know, the moneyed interests get it. Um, the, you know, the, the, the other interesting thing about this, um, conversation yesterday in the New York Times by Gail Collins and uh, Brett Stevens, probably more important than their little thing about, are you poor if you have $400,000 a year? I wish. <laughs> I'd love to be that kind of poor. Um, is that the Republican Party used to be sort of the business party. Um, and then, in more recent times, it's been, if I can sort of glibly say, the aggrievement party or the culture wars party. And the, the moneyed people aren't, the corporate people aren't really interested in that, though they've certainly used it. I think the Koch brothers are very interesting. They're the people who keep, you know, underwriting various people in the Republican Party. What do the Kochs give their money to? They give it to the Metropolitan Opera. <laughs> you go to the Metropolitan Opera in New York, Coke, Coke, Coke is all over the place. K-O-C-H, not C-O-K-E. Right, right. And the problem whenever they say, oh, well, let's let rich people give their money away is they give their money away to things that are of interest to rich people, which tend to be things like the opera. I mean, I love the opera and I'm glad the Cokes underwrite it because when I go, I get a cheap seat. But that doesn't do anything to keeping America going as a um, as a as a polity, I will say this in a practical way, with enough equality so that we're not dysfunctional. I mean, it would be great if we had enough equality so that we all felt good about where we are. But at a certain point, if you just get incredible inequality, things begin to fall apart. 805-543-8830 if you want in this conversation with Dr. James Papp as he talks about the growing economic disparity in this country and why there has to be something else other than reparations. But what specifically could we do? Well, I, you know, I don't think reparations is a bad idea. I do think that because, you know, clearly systemic racism um, based originally in slavery, uh, but based on all kinds of laws, redlining, etc. I mean, the, the Federal Housing Administration would not underwrite new housing after World War II if it was not segregated, because their theory was if black people lived in a neighborhood, there goes the neighborhood and values would go down. So only white people were allowed to live in FHA projects. I'm sorry, that systemic, you know, All right. um, we got discrimination North, you have to fix. We got North County Jim on KVEC. Hey, Jim. David, how are you? Never better. Thank you, sir. Hey, Jim. Hello. I'm just curious why you why you're breaking down the homeless. Why are you breaking them down in categories? Aren't they just homeless? Well, where's, I, where's, the, where's the problem here? I think the I think one of the reasons you break things down in categories is if you want to solve a problem. 
you try and say, well, what's the source of the problem? And, and I think a much more important categorization than, um, than LGBTQ or black or whatever is one of the arguments is that they all come from somewhere else. And one of the things that has been shown in studies of, for instance, uh, Bay Area homeless is, no, they're from the Bay Area and they got priced out of housing. They're local. So if you want yeah. to solve a problem, you look at what's creating the problem. That's that's the chief reason to break it down. Jim? I don't, I don't agree. Homeless is homeless. It doesn't matter what color, sexual preferences or whatever. they. It's like having a flu. It's a flu. It's not a black flu, a red flu, or yellow flu. It's a flu. So you're doing it's, it's the wrong approach. Well, homeless I, is homeless. I don't care. Most of these people have psychological issues and abuse of drugs and alcohol. I witness it every day. So you've so now just no, been breaking them breaking down it into down categories. Like that is not going to solve the problem. So you've just broken it down into categories, which is most of these people have psychological problems and drug problems. And I didn't break them down. <laughs> which is legit. Which <laughs> is legitimate. Categories of illness, not in categories of racial or sexual preferences. Okay, right. let's the problems people have. Right, but let me alcohol, ask. Drugs, right. Uh, so, so, North County, Jim, how do we close the economic gap, or do we not worry about it? You have to solve these people's issues by figuring out where, what problems they have and put them in, put in, putting them in a place where they can get help, proper help, because most of these psychiatrists that deal with these issues, from, in my opinion, from my experience listening to and reading, they have more issues than the people they're treating. Yeah. So, in my opinion, like giving them uh, giving them homeless a hotel, what's what's gonna, what's that going to do? It's not going to solve a problem. You're you're creating more of a problem because you're not helping them solve their issue. They need psychiatric help, and this money issue is 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 simply money. They can't work. Most of them cannot work. They can't function in society. It's not about and retribution. That that that. Is a is really pathetic. All right, Jim. Pathetic because none of these people have suffered. None of the blacks that are supposedly getting going to get retribution from from this individual that's managing this this state have had any issues with slavery. Period. And if we're going to do that, then they they should be claiming more money from the Arab countries because they enslave more blacks than any anybody else. All right, Jim, thanks for checking in. What do you say, Professor Pat? Well, I think I think Jim from North County brings up a lot of really interesting issues. But um I you know, let's let's look at how someone becomes homeless because I know plenty of homeless people. I work with them all the time. And um it's much easier to become homeless if your family has one tenth the wealth of another family. If a white kid encounters drug problems, on average, they're going to have a bigger fallback. Or if they encounter psychiatric problems, they're going to have a bigger fallback. If a white kid gets into trouble, they are much more likely, less likely on average to be sent to prison. And prison really <laughs> sends you into homelessness. So the notion that um, 
you know, it is a good American notion that we toss around that's all personal responsibility. But then at a certain point, you have to say, well, you know, what's the problem with one class of people having all the money and another class of people not having the money? It's much easier to become homeless when you don't have any money. All right. We are in conversation. With Dr. James Papp, we're talking a little bit about reparations in San Francisco, the larger issue of the growing economic disparity in this country, and what, if anything, we need to do. We'll come back for a final segment on AM 9. 20 FM at 96.5 News Talk KVEC. Professor Papp has a fan, Susan, on the Stolberg Tatum text line. Hi, Susan. I learned so much from Dr. Papp. Great overview of history and breakdown of problems and solutions. Thanks for having him on. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate that. If you want in on this conversation, though, we need to hear from you now. Please, 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We've talked about reparations. We have talked about the growing economic disparity. And in turn, that led to a conversation about homelessness. Also on the Stolberg-Tatum line, you solve the problem by traveling to Japan and determining what they do to have made homelessness virtually non-existent. I know nothing of Japan. I don't, you know, <laughs> actually, it reminds me of this guy in Japan who was homeless. No, I'm sorry. It was a woman in Japan who was homeless and was hiding in a guy's cabinet and would come out and eat his food during the day and began to notice his food was disappearing. It just um, there's homelessness there, but it, it's not so apparent um, because people are hiding in cabinets. I mean, every every country deals with these issues in different ways. And I don't want to get in, uh, into homelessness because right. that's not what this program is about. And right. Dave has reminded me it's about reparations. Well, and what's happening in San Francisco? I, if if we're going to make reparations, they should be structured reparations. I think that where they tie together is, and where this report, I think, is really, really good, is it does talk about and, and lay out a long history, just as the Japanese reparations report is was the first time that they pulled together all the research and knowledge of what happened during World War II that sent the Japanese to camps, which was totally nuts. It, they w were not a security threat. Um, it came down to the Japanese Americans in California had always been seen in California as an economic threat. And so California's passed initiative after initiative preventing Japanese from owning property. And... Well, you know, the same thing happened to black people. <laughs> they were property. So I think take out this this sort of toxic issue, at least toxic to white people, <laughs> toxic to black people, of reparations and look at what do you want to achieve? And one of the things this report said it wanted to achieve was to end this driving out from San Francisco of all the black people. You go to San Francisco and it's just this homogenous place now because nobody can afford anything except a very homogenous set of people. And I say if Elon Musk can piss away $44 billion on Twitter, we should, you know, we should have prevented him from doing that and said, okay, Elon, we're going to tax that money and try and, and create better equality in this country. And 
some of the suggestions in the report were entrepreneurship um, lessons. One of the things that comes straight from Margaret Thatcher, which was interesting, was turn public housing into condominiums. Mm. That's what Margaret Thatcher did so that people would have ownership. On the Stolberg and Tatum text line, a listener reminding us that California Native Americans need to be the first priority. Yeah. Um, no, I would say um, they, you know, that... <laughs> I mean, they were directly affected. They, they were, were directly affected. They were directly enslaved, and the Mexicans never. The Mexican government was going to give them, you know, forty acres and mule or its equivalent. Uh, never did all the all of the land, as we know, went to huge ranchos, which are now housing projects, housing developments, um, and um, yeah, but but. The California population was decimated, um, went from um, to one-tenth of what it had been, the California Indian population, from the time of Sarah to 100 years later. And that's bounced back somewhat. But, um, you know, the, the, the notion that, we're, that it's a zero-sum game and we're all fighting for a limited amount of wealth, I find to be very distracting and distressing in this conversation. We're not fighting over, you know, the zero-sum of wealth. What we need to do is distribute wealth in a healthy and reasonably egalitarian way because every sort of technological advance means that one other category of people is being disenfranchised from earning money. You mean a single person shouldn't be able to allow allowed to win a billion dollars in the lottery? Oh, I think they should be allowed to win a billion dollars because they're just going to, you know, blow it on um, hookers and blow, whatever. But the thing is that when you have Elon Musk or anyone with just an unimaginable to us amount of money, like Elon Musk is, has dropped from being the richest person in the world because he had what, he's now down to one hundred and thirty two billion dollars. And we're complaining about black people and they should get something for having been discriminated against for 400 years that seems to me to be a surreal conversation on the Stolberg tatum text line mike is checking from los osos hi mike white liberals need to check their white privilege by stepping down from their cushy institutional government jobs while demanding that the replacements be the oppressed minorities they claim to care about they won't because they're frauds well, that's an interesting opinion. I mean, sort of the, the, the scary reality is now with all these AI chatbots, you know, it's possible that the people, the, the people who have kind of survived, so the people who've gotten rich are the people who've taken advantage of technology, whether it was, you know, Ford or whether it was Elon Musk. The ability to, you know, and who's the guy, Sergey Brin, who owns eBay or no, he's Google. Who who founded eBay? I can't remember. Somebody with the last name starting with E. Yeah, um, eBay, <laughs> like like ET, um, because that person figured out that instead of owning a shop or even a bunch of shops like Woolworth, you could concentrate all commerce on one site and you could make all the money in the world Um, so that drives you know the individual shopkeepers out of business so now we have big box stores and we have online and so that's driven people to you know instead of owning their own shop to working for Walmart for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And the way Walmart pays so low is that its employees, to a large percentage, are getting public government handouts. 
Um, you know, they're getting food stamps. They're, they're sure. getting um, Medi-Cal and so on. That's how um, they can continue to survive while, while they In many states, low. that's the Walmart health plan. Yeah. Is it you go file for a state support? So... Is that the world we want? The, the remaining people who are sort of the professionals who kind of run the country uh, for the rich people, <laughs> they now are threatened because AI can do their jobs, um, you know, to a large extent. For a while, it was different. Like when they introduced word processing, that meant all the stenographers were fired, but all the executives now have to write their own letters. Well, soon there will be AI writing letters for them. Let's, what do you uh, do? Let's squeeze in Ron and Roy Grande. Hey, Ron. Well, I think I hear some flawed thinking there, whether it's Amazon or eBay or whatever. He's concentrating on the one person that started it and is making money off of it. But what about all those people, either individuals or companies, that are selling through eBay, making a very decent living so they have enough money to own a house or a condo or rent a nice apartment? You take those people away and you take the money from them, okay, it's... You think it's going to help. It's actually not going to help. I believe it's going to hurt because they're the ones who are creating the businesses and the processes that all these other people can really make the money. If I mean, I, I think that's great. Yes, there are people making a little bit of money off of eBay, and some of them do it better than bit. other people. Some of them do it better than other people. I mean, the people who are selling Christmas ornaments, communist Christmas ornaments from Ukraine, which is one example of what you can find on eBay. I don't think they're making a lot of money. The the however, the sort of the overall trend is increasing and. It, increasing wealth disparity at an accelerating rate. I'm not worried about the individual trader on eBay. I'm worried about someone who has $132 billion while other people don't have health care, um, you know, can't start a business because there are no businesses, can't live in the city they live we're, in because it's unaffordable. We're out of time. Ron, thanks for checking in. Craig found that Pierre, O-M-I-D-Y-A-R, is the founder of eBay. So there you go. You got 30 seconds for a final thought, Professor Papp. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I have nothing intelligent that can be said within 30 seconds. But I want to thank Dave for making this program possible and, and letting me take it. This into, specific uh, program. Yes. Ma- letting me take it in some other directions yeah. than he had originally planned. And I hope, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, that it sets you thinking. Always stimulating conversation when Professor Papp is in the house. Thank you, sir. Off we go. We got news and traffic and weather. Paul Lewis up next. He wants to respond to the segment we did last week about Biden and all the presidential documents. We'll hear from him. We'll hear from you. Debbie Peterson after that. This is Hometown Radio. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.